Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. Welcome back to Reframing Our Stories. I'm so glad that you are here today. We'd be so happy if you are a listener who is enjoying the shows, if you could give us a rating and subscribe and share with your friends and also come and follow us at Reframing Our Stories, our Instagram. That is where we highlight the work that we're doing in our local community and in other communities, as well as providing important information that we all can think about and can learn from in the world of sexuality. Also, take the time to go to our website, reframingourstories.com, and find the podcast tab and the tab that says share your story. We would love, love, love to connect to our listeners and hear some of the stories that you all are reframing in your lives, because I know there's many of them. It's been such an honor as a sex educator to have people come to me and share with me just the way that they have been transforming and been learning through their process of understanding human sexuality more. If you are one of those people, I would love to have a conversation with you. And with that, welcome to the show. It is my pleasure to be able to talk with a mom who I instantly fell in love with and adored when I learned of her. Jamie Brusoff is a fellow ELCA Lutheran like me, who is an award-winning writer, speaker, advocate, and mama bear who fights for equal rights for the LGBTQIA community. What I fell in love with was her fierceness and courage to stand up and speak out for the inequalities she saw around her. She lets her voice be heard to care for and love on those who are a part of the queer community, and especially for her daughter. Jamie's work has been recognized and featured in Huffington Post, Teen Vogue, LGBTQ Nation, and the Human Rights Campaign, just to name a few. She also has an upcoming book called Raising Kids Beyond the Binary, Celebrating God's Transgender and Gender Diverse Children, that is available for pre-order wherever books are sold. It is my absolute pleasure to have Jamie here today. Jamie, I'm so glad that you're here and thank you for being on my show. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. There's so much that we need to talk about, <laughs> especially with what's happening in this world right now. That's not amazing. But to start off, when Rebecca told you that she was a girl, as a mother, what did you feel? How did that feel in your body? when you were told that and then what went on in your head? Yeah. So I, it's interesting. I think everyone's, you know, coming out story, if you will, is different and unique and impacted by so many things, including who you are and who you're surrounded by and how old you are. And I mean, Rebecca was eight years old when she went out into the world as herself. And so it's almost like we learn together. Like there was not a single moment where Rebecca said, 
I'm a girl, call me this, this is what's happening. Like that just wasn't our story. It was years of kind of peeling back layers and getting to know her. Um, and uh, she was always gender non-conforming. You know, she gravitated to typically feminine things and that was cool. We said colors are for everyone, clothes are for everyone, be any kind of boy you wanna be. And over time, um, that just didn't seem to be it. And it was a journey with some um, with some struggle, with some anxiety, some depression, um, support along the way from, you know, mental health care providers and our family doctor and lots of research and learning. And I think if I had to pick like one moment where things shifted was the day she learned the word transgender. Mm. Um, we had been getting ready for my middle kiddo, my son's birthday party and it was winter and it was going to be a swim party. Um, and by this time she was wearing all girl clothes, like generally pink head to toe was her jam. And she had been since like, I don't know, fall, but after swimming. And there was this moment where she said, mom, what am I going to wear? And I was like, oh, right. What are you going to wear? I mean, today you're going to wear what's in your closet. Cause we were practical, with nothing else. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and so that was fine. But it started this conversation of like, what does this mean? Okay. So for the summer, well, so I said, you know, we can find you a pink rash guard. We can find you pink swim shorts. Cause like pink was her jam. And I said, or you can wear a girl's bathing suit, which I said as my chest got tight because while I wanted her to have all the options, I knew that would be a harder path mm -hmm. as far as how people would receive her at that point. Um, and we were still using male pronouns at this point. And um, I said, uh, I don't know, let's just Google. And so we Googled gender non-conforming swimsuits and nothing came up then if you google that right. now you actually get yeah. options which brings me great joy <laughs> but we stumbled upon the acronym lgbt mm. and i said rebecca she was newly eight years old at this point i said do you know what these letters mean and she said no and our family had always been a family that had said love is love we rejoiced with our very young children when marriage equality um did the marriage equality decision came down from the Supreme Court. And so like that was a known, but she'd never heard the acronym. And so I went through the letters, the L, the G, the B, and the T. And when I got to transgender, she said, oh, maybe that's what I am. Mm. And I said, oh, maybe that's what you are. And while I had known and been starting to learn and knew it was a possibility, um, we went about this as a support, but not encouraged. That's what parents with young children are always told support, but not encourage. We want to support where they are in their journey, but not encourage them in any one direction. And so in that moment of her claiming that word, I think there was in my body, there is that tightness of what does this mean and what will the journey ahead be? And also some relief because I heard her making connections that I thought she might be on her way to be making for some time, but it was her own. And I got to hear those words come out of her mouth. Hmm. And so that felt really special, I think. I and think so it was six weeks from that day to when she went out into the world as Rebecca for the first time. Like it just oh, really? all, everything made sense. Like hmm. we reached out to a gender therapist to make sure we were not like crazy. And I shouldn't use that word, but that we were not way off base with what we were doing. Um, and, and it just all, it was the permission giving she needed. Yeah. I would think like that would just have been a moment of 
pure clarity for her, like to hear a word and then to also know that it exists in a, in a much wider space. So then there's also that acknowledgement of I'm not the only one who feels like this. If there's like an acronym, <laughs> you know, that encompasses this word, you know, that could be freeing, I would think. Yeah, it really was. I think it it was to understand that there was a whole community. Mm-hmm. There were other people that experienced what she was experiencing and trying to find language for in her own body. And then know she wasn't alone. Yeah. And I love, I think what is important to also to bring up is you had said, we are supposed to support, not encourage. And I think where um, many people who may not understand uh, what happens when uh, your child is coming to you and telling you how they are feeling, that there is this idea that parents are doing the encouraging and pushing and trying to get them to a certain space where that's not at all what is happening. Would you say that's true? Yeah, really? Yes, I really would. I think parents are, one, I think no parent, I have yet to meet a parent that um, is jumping down this path ahead of their child. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that especially in today's climate, like this isn't, this isn't easy. There is nothing wrong with my daughter, but the world is difficult to deal with. And so um, as parents, I don't think you want your child's life to be any harder than it has to be. Right. And so while I never ever would say that I want Rebecca to be anyone but herself, I wish the world was better for Rebecca and that's why I do what I do. But I think parents, uh, parents are um, tasked with holding a container of safety for children to figure out who they are, to explore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's hard. And a lot of us really aren't good at that. I and mean, that's why we um, often, you know, gender nonconforming children, it's just fit in this box, fit in this box, go be like a boy you're supposed to be or all those things. And I think my spouse and I were just really gifted with who Rebecca was from the moment she was born. And I always say she came out of the world demanding her voice be, came out of the womb demanding her voice be heard or no one was going to sleep again. Like those first (laughs) few weeks and months of no sleep and a colicky kid and everybody's advice and all the books not helping. Like we just realized we were going to have to throw that all away and follow our kids lead. And that was the Mm -hmm. foundation with which we parented her. Mm -hmm. And that taught us everything like that prepared us for the road ahead. But I do think all parents would do well to try to just create that container and support your kid and, and you're on an adventure and see where they're going to take you. I think that applies. Like when we have kids, I think what automatically happens as I say to people, my kids are your biggest teachers and your biggest triggers. And I 100% believe that what sometimes we're fighting with any child is unfortunately, we sometimes tend to think that the child is a reflection of us. And then also anything that we maybe not, uh, did not experience or was our needs that were not met of what we wanted to do or the expectations we had to live into I think I'll get into that messy space regardless of like what we, the expectations we have for our kids and then um, even the boxes we create for them 
because we're trying to not have it be a negative reflection of us, of like the un of the wounds that we haven't healed yet as as individuals. And so I feel mm-hmm. like then when our children come to us and tell us something that feels very much out of the box that we built, that is what is probably the biggest challenge for many people. Would you think mm-hmm. that or agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think with, with all parenting, we have to do our own work. Oh, and sure. and I think that's, I think that's maybe the biggest challenge of parenting. That might be a, I don't know, but I think I might actually say that for, I would suggest that the biggest challenge of parenting is to not react to our children out of our own stuff. Right. Um, I love like the circles of grief model where you like in grief, you put the person who has experienced a loss at the center and there's concentric circles of like people close to them and people further away and like the neighbor down the street all the way on the outside and, and processing goes out and support Mm -hmm. goes in. Mm -hmm. And so in parenting, um, in parenting in general, but I always generally talk about it with parenting gender diverse kids, but we put the kid at the center support goes in, we've got to process our stuff out. And it's not bad that you have that stuff. Mm -hmm. We all have that stuff. It's just that we don't want to put it on the child child. in our midst. We want to let them be unencumbered and free to step into their own selves. And, And then we need to be willing to lean on the people around us outside of those circles for real, real intense support for work that has to be done. Yeah. And I think like the phrases that we all can get used to using more is what do you need, which maybe they don't know, but it allows them to think and how can I support you? Right. Because oftentimes like we don't know, (laughs) we can't also put what we think is going to be best for them either, but giving them Mm -hmm. that voice, I think of, of helping them, right. Come to that space. Yeah. I mean, that's beautiful. How many adults do you know, including myself, <laughs> who don't always know how to answer what do you need? I know. If we could normalize that with young people and say that this is a normal question to be asked and for you to reflect and say, I'm not sure, but maybe this, or actually I figured it out, you know, a couple mm-hmm. hours later, this is yeah. what I need. That is such powerful relationship tools and self-care tools. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I almost feel like as adults, we need to wake up every day and go, what do I need? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, oh, how my life would shift. (laughs) I remember to do that. So the work that you do, you do so much advocacy work. And I'm just, I, I mean, really, Jamie, I'm in awe of you, like in so many ways of the way that, because I know myself and I get scared. (laughs) I'm just going to say it. I get scared. And I know that you probably do too, but I love that you, you are like, I'm scared, but here I go. I'm out here. And because you know, like you're that mom who's like, my child needs the support. So what is with your advocacy work? What has that taught you about sexuality? Mm. I mean, I think, um, I think being willing to be vulnerable and um, noticing all your feelings, like I feel afraid all the time. I feel um, 
I feel all sorts of things. And where are those feelings coming from? And what do I need in that moment? Like all of those tools are, I think, tools that I use in in telling my family's public, story publicly and in supporting people and making positive change. And so I think that's really powerful. The other piece is that in um, in supporting my daughter, Rebecca, in publicly sharing her story and sharing ours as a family and talking about authenticity and truly coming to understand on like a deep soul level that the we change the world by showing up fully as ourselves. We yeah. just do. And um, it was in learning that and letting that sink down into my bones that I then chose to come out publicly as bisexual because knowing mm-hmm. myself more fully was really important to me, but then in also in sharing that with the world and kind of being claiming that and being able to talk about being a queer woman in the world and what does that mean and how does it impact my life? And for a long time, I think, well, there was a period of time maybe a very long period of time where I just assumed everybody was bisexual, let's be honest. <laughs> and in figuring out that other people were not not claiming that because it was just assumed, but because they didn't feel that, I was like, oh, well, maybe there is something more to who I am. <laughs> but also um, in understanding that who I am is not what's often assumed of me, I think. And that in, incl- uh, I often thought I was not queer enough that label I wasn't you know I've been in a straight presenting relationship for more than 20 years we yeah it'll be 20 years of marriage in June and so um who am I to take up space in that world but understanding that me taking up space in the world fully as myself is important and empowering not only for me but for other people and I'm mindful of the privilege that comes with navigating the world as a white bisexual woman in a straight presenting relationship and all of these things but that also comes with erasure and so there's just layers and awareness but um the value of authenticity really I think like there are words that I might have said at one point but now I know deep down in my bones in a different way so for those who to again I feel also to be authentic there is also a sense of courage, right? Because realistically, our world is telling us to be anything but authentic. So how do you believe that we can get there and encourage other people to live in that space? Because I think to myself, man, if all of us can like, I mean, we all know that we are subscribing to these boxes that we've created out of, I think, a sense of fear and out of a sense of, um, I think the expansiveness of the world sometimes overwhelms us, right? Like in reality, like it's real big. And, and then we have to admit that we don't know anything <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> or that we're just yep. like, oh, <laughs> uh, that concept that I thought about that was completely wrong or, you know, and we don't like to do that. And so for you, like to come to that space of then living into your authentic self to also recognize that that's helping your child be authentically who they are. What are some things then that you would give advice for people to try to live into that space as well? Yeah, I think, I think authenticity is like this big nebulous word that it's hard to like, (laughs) um, to like to nail down. It's like, what, what does it mean to be authentic? And so I, 
I find with ideas like that, it can be really helpful to kind of bring it down to a micro level. So what are micro acts of authenticity you can participate in? And so maybe it's, um, it's taking some time and making a list of like things you love and things you hate. Mm -hmm. um, of times starting to notice when you feel the most you. Um, when do you feel most free? We were, um, so we just got through Holy Week and Easter. And as I'm married to a pastor and a clergy family, you know, this is, is uh, it's an intense time. And so in the time that follows Easter, my family takes a little bit of time away just to, to be together and, and come down from that. And we were able to go on a hike and we, nature is something that is so deeply important to me. And um, we've moved in recent years to a more suburban area and I'm just not as connected to that. And we took this hike and I was like a half mile up a mountain hugging a tree because I felt like me again in a way that I hadn't in months and months and I didn't know it. Mm. And so that moment and that learning, like it's little things. And so like, I think we all have them, like whether it's that day, your hair looks amazing and you just feel <laughs> like you're feeling yourself and you catch a glimpse in the mirror and you're like, yeah, this is me. Or when that song comes on, that just makes mm. you feel like alive in your body and you just want to move. Yeah. Or <laughs> all of those little micro things. And then how do you incorporate them more into your day? Because I think as we get, to feel more like ourselves on a micro level, it it equips us to talk about authenticity at a at a bigger level, at the big scope idea. And mm -hmm. and who, what does it mean to be Jamie? What does it mean to be Kara? Yeah, I love that. I love because, you know, that is great. Of like, because I think it's always in the. It feels like it's always in the little moments. I think where we have the biggest discoveries, and that requires us paying attention. You know being willing to pay attention, being willing to observe our child and to see like, what are they trying to tell you? <laughs> like, what are the things that they're doing that we're missing because we're trying to like check off our to-do list? You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. I love that yeah. you said it like that. What is some of the advice that you would give also to parents who have kids that are trans, who are navigating mm. this for the first time? What are some of the things that you would want to say to them? Number one, love your love the child you have in front of you, not the child you thought you were going to have, not the child the world tells you you should have, not the child you expected to have, but the actual child in front of you. Love mm -hmm. first. I know there are big questions and there's fear and there is doubt and there is um layers of what feels like grief and confusion and that's all there but again it goes back to those circles put a little bubble around your kid and nothing but love goes in mm -hmm. you can process all that you can figure it out and the and the other piece would be you're not alone you don't have to process that all or figure it all out by yourself there are parents raising transgender non-binary gender expansive kids in every community across the country mm -hmm. whether you know they're there or not they are mm -hmm. they're mm -hmm. there and there are ways to connect whether organizations like pflag which is a national organization with local chapters or online communities facebook groups i know social media has its ups and downs but some sacred community is found there and so know that you don't have to go it alone 
and people will walk with you on this journey, but your job that no one else can do the way you can is to love that kid, Mm -hmm. no matter what, just Mm -hmm. love them Mm -hmm. and get to know them. Yeah. Like it's, it's delight. They like, who are they? And this goes for all kids. It's funny when we talk about parenting, you know, kids on gender journeys of sorts, it's just good parenting for all kids. Get to know who they are. (laughs) What do they like? What do they not like? What do they need and, Mm -hmm. and support them. And yeah, you're on an adventure together and that's what parenting is. And you don't have to go it alone, but lead with love and lean on people, find your Mm. support. I was going to say that probably is huge of being able to find those who then can also give you <laughs> like, who's going yeah. to come to your support when you're like navigating this and things. Like exactly. That. Yeah. And like, now I think the world, the world is feeling bigger. I mean, the things are really bad right at this moment for, mm-hmm. for families with kids like mine and the LGBTQ community as a whole, but at the same time, the world has gotten bigger when we look at trans and gender expansive people. There are possibility models all around us. Yeah. There are more than ever before in the media and in books, even though they're trying to be banned and in um, and on social media. And there are stories and there, I mean, even I know my daughter plays this role for people. You know, she's a 16 year old thriving young person who is incredible on all accounts and happens to be transgender. And what I hear from people all the time who reach out to me are like, you and Rebecca, you gave me hope. You told mm-hmm. me that it could be okay. I saw a kid thriving and I realized that was possible for my kid. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's easy. Like the world is ugly right now. Right. But your kid, your kid is not the problem. Right. The world is. The world is. So let's talk about that world right now. Right. Because I've wanted to anyway. I'm, I know that many, a lot of what's happening also is a lack of understanding, but just when we thought like it was moving in a direction that was positive, it's like taken a nosedive, right? What, why do you think that is like, where do you think this nosedive happened? And then how are we, the people who, you know, are advocating and educating how do we continue to try to help change things? Mm-hmm. I think on one one thing to look at or to understand is that as we reach this kind of, I mean, um, it was 2015, 2016, I don't remember which, when Laverne Cox was on the cover of Time Magazine and it was labeled the transgender tipping point. And we'd hit this kind of critical mass of awareness and visibility. Mm-hmm. Well, with that awareness and visibility comes pushback, right. comes, um, comes fear. And so I think as we continue to progress, those who are um, intent on maintaining the status quo, on maintaining systems of power that benefit them mm. are giving everything they've got. This is, this is, they are throwing the kitchen sink at us now because they yes. are scared. Yeah. They are scared because all of this goodness is happening and all of this progress is happening. And so, I mean, I don't think we can negate how truly awful and terrifying things are right now. And also if we zoom out, it does feel like the last desperate attempt right. to take down a community and to withhold, uh, to uphold systems um, 
that have been in place for a very long time that protect, uh, you know, white, cis, straight men largely. And so what does that look like? And so I think that's one piece. I think the other thing to understand is that this statistic boggles my mind every time, but we still know that the majority of Americans, to their knowledge, have not met a transgender person. They likely have and are not aware of that. But they, to their knowledge, they have not met, they do not know a transgender person. Fascinating. And so you have all of this misinformation. You Mm -hmm. have these talking points. You have this inflammatory language about doing surgeries on young children, which only happens with intersex people. And we could talk about in a separate way. And that is another violation. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. But um, so all these really scary ideas that are just being thrown out there. And if you don't know anything out, you're going, oh, oh, that does sound bad. There's mm-hmm. nothing to check it against. Right. And so continuing to um, help people understand and say, hey, actually, that thing you said, that's not quite right. I happen to know trans people or love trans people or I have a trans family member. And this is actually what I can tell you about them. What I can tell you about transgender young people is that they are um, hilarious and they are authentic and they are smart and they are creative and they have hopes and dreams to be, um, you know, future doctors and lawyers and politicians and actors and writers and all of these things. And they're just like other kids in so many ways. And that parents raising them want the same things for our kids that you want for your kids. We want our kids to grow up, to be happy and healthy, to be functioning adults, to make a positive contribution to society. And that like we share far more values than than we don't. And Mm -hmm. so if we can find that common ground and and make room in all the fear, people Mm -hmm. are so afraid of what they don't know. And when you hear this inflammatory language, it's like, my gosh, that's terrible. I don't want my kid thinking this is okay. I don't want this happening. We have to protect the children. And none of that is rooted in in fact or reality. It's just inflammatory misinformation. Yeah. I was speaking with um, a group of parents last night who have preschoolers. And we were talking about just what sexuality is at first, right? So the, the whole point of the talk was to help them figure out, like, how can we start having healthy conversations around sexuality with kids at this age? And what does that look like? What does that mean? And one of the things I point out is because if everyone went to the World Health Organization and read the definition of sexuality, they would realize the expansiveness, expansiveness of sexuality. But I do feel like in the American culture, we are so obsessed with genitals as the primary focus of what sexuality is, where it's like a small portion (laughs) of what sexuality is, but we're so like obsessed. And I think it's because of the, you know, the aspect of just not knowing and because we have been silent with so many other issues related to sex and sexuality, that it's just a hyper-focus. And if we learned how to stop hyper-focusing on genitals at large, we would, I think, start to change and realizing yeah. we're more than just genitals, for goodness sakes. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. like, so yeah. Well, and it's easy. We, we want to dehumanize people. I mean, we don't want to, but the people that are trying to accomplish their goals, you, it is a lot easier to 
um, can to to support their agendas when we're not talking about whole human beings. If right. we can reduce people to genitals and to parts, we yeah. can reduce them to parts. Mm -hmm. Then it's a lot easier to vilify them to um, and to create that us or them mentality. Yeah. I think is a big thing. And then when we talk about like reducing people to genitals, like. I mean, it's so harmful on so many levels, like, you right. know, like, obviously the whole person and, and that we're all these things, but also the way we have um, vilified penises and, and masculine body parts, typically masculine yeah. body parts in our understanding is so detrimental, not just to trans and gender expansive people, but to boys. Oh, like, gosh. what are we teaching them about their own bodies? Oh, and I that, can't. like, you're mm -hmm. you're a weapon that we should protect all these people from. Yeah. And that feeds into what we're actually, I mean, they're being groomed into, you want to talk about grooming, they're being mm -hmm. groomed into being weapons. That's what toxic masculinity does. That's when we look 100%. at how many of um, people, you know, mass shooters are white men and it's all of these things. Like, and that's the thing. It's fascinating how it's, I don't know how it just reinforces itself and how they are creating the problem they suggest they want to avoid. Like it's, it can and just it, make your brain kind of melt. Well, and you know, that goes along. Like if we look at it from like a spiritual Christian kind of viewpoint, not seeing a person, not looking at a full person and putting them as parts is not at all what <laughs> we have been taught to do. Right. Yeah. And so, but that is yeah. what has been happening on multiple levels, which has been so sad mm -hmm. and just really frustrating. But I just love what you just said, though, about the fact of just the the grooming in terms of even the masculinity of boys and that the penis is a weapon and things. And that goes also into, I just actually wrote an article the other day that um, consent is not, is not gendered, you know, and it's mm -hmm. because... And, and one of the aspects I write about is we like, don't give boys the freedom of feeling the freedom of knowing you don't have to do anything. Like if you're not ready, you can say no. Like we all, like it's, it's mm -hmm. always, we always, I feel, I shouldn't say always. We most often have these, um, you know, pendulums where it's like, we're either all the way over here or over here. And it's like, it's one or the other. And I, and that to me, and I've always said is, is leaning into like this binary thinking. And I just feel like when we continue to live in a binary experience is when we continuously lose, you know, because again, like yeah. even with our political parties, we're never okay. going to actually, I think have a well-functioning government because we're constantly living in this binary experience. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a whole nother story, <laughs> how people will feel about yep. that. But I mean, that's just <laughs> kind of the things that I have been, you know, seeing because it's putting people in a win-lose mm -hmm. situation always. Exactly. Yeah. And if, if you are going to win, that means I'm losing. And so that's, mm -hmm. it's this us or them. And no, that's not, we're never, that's not what we were intended to be. That's not what certainly like the kingdom of God, if you want to talk from a faith perspective, that's not it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. It's so hard. Okay. So what is something as 
because we're now entering this phase where pe- where the trans community and the LGBTQ community is really being put in at risk. I mean, it's a it's a humanity issue. So what as a parent do you want to say to the communities that are trying to put your child at risk? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is it goes back to what I was saying about like, I want the same things for my kids that you want for yours. And that it doesn't need to be this win or lose. I want, I want people to meet a kid like Rebecca and get to know her and see her as a real human being and understand the impact of what they're doing. Um, On the flip side, like when I'm talking about policy and stuff, I want us to consider that there are real problems in the world that we need to be tended to, that there are real um, challenges we need our government helping with, Mm -hmm. and that um, getting in the way of my child's medical care, um, trying to suggest that that politicians know more than her doctors Mm. is absurd and certainly is a misuse of power and a bad use of your tax dollars. Like, what can we be doing that actually helps you? I want to stay out of your home and you can raise your kids the way you want to raise your kids. And I need you to stay out of mine. Like mm-hmm. I, um, a lot of times folks talk about parental rights. That's a big thing. And the thing is that everything that's being done right now is systematically removing the rights of parents, parents. like me yeah. who are trying to raise our children yes 100%. Um, and raise our children to be to become healthy adults we just want to raise them we don't need to raise like it's that that's the trans agenda we just want to raise children into adults that they survive to that long because they are that at risk and it's not because there's something wrong with them it is because of what they face in society. And so people often look at the statistics of alarming rates of anxiety, depression, and suicidality in LGBTQ plus people of all ages, but especially young people and go, well, of course, look, there's something wrong with them. We, they need to be fixed. We have to save them. When in reality, the data shows that support and acceptance makes those numbers go down drastically and attempts to change someone's gender or sexuality um, what's called conversion therapy or so-called reparative therapy, what some people would refer to it as, actually doubles that suicide risk. And so it's really clear. Like we have the data that shows this is how we keep kids safe Mm -hmm. and this is how we protect them. And and I just really want them to meet them. Like my kid's hilarious. She's Mm -hmm. funny. She's snarky. If I could get her to clean her room, that'd be amazing. She's a typical (laughs) 16 year old in a million ways. She's way too smart for her own good. And she's just wants to be herself and Mm -hmm. go to school and make her community better and cause a little trouble in typical teenage ways. She is amazing. I have to say, I'm always, again, like, I love that you said, like, she just came out wanting her voice to be heard because you can tell just like in the things that I have seen her do. I'm like, man, she is a force to be reckoned with. Like, she really is. She is. (laughs) It's really awesome. What is, um, you know, actually, I wanted to go back to this one moment when you were talking, I started thinking of when I was, um, during the pandemic, I got on lots of zoom, 
um, like webinars, right, for continuing education. And I was listening to this um, Black trans woman, and she was saying, and I thought what she said was very insightful, because she said, I and who I am feels threatening to people because I represent a freedom that not many people have felt. And I was like, shoot, right? Like I, there's this element, I think, to live, as we talked about again, as authentically as we are, not many of us, mm -hmm. I feel, have the courage to do so. And so we live mm -hmm. our moments feeling maybe not completely who we are. You know, there's depression, there's all this stuff. And it can bring, I think, maybe an element of anger towards mm -hmm towards those who aren't, who feel like they're not able to live in a space within themselves, whereas they have found a sense of freedom. You know, do you yeah. agree with that? Yeah. What are your thoughts I mean, around I think, that? I think the boxes are, are safe. You know, so many of us stay in these boxes because they keep us safe. They have clear boundaries. We know even the this or that, the binary, if I am this, I know I'm not that, and you are that and not this. And those, they help us organize the world. And that's like really natural. And that's right. our human instinct to want to organize the world. And also you can only, like, you can't grow in that little box. You can't, that, that box prevents you from expanding into the fullness of who you are in the fullness mm -hmm. of, um, I mean, like from a faith perspective of God's creation, like we are so big and magical and mystical and holy and all of those things that we just don't fit in this tiny little box. And so I think when we go through our day to day, you know, you, you get up, you go to work, you do the things you're supposed to do and, and you, you try to keep things safe because that's what you're taught it can like you look out and you see someone that's like running free through a full field of daisies and you're like, but I want that, mm -hmm. but I want that freedom, but it's so scary. Mm -hmm. What does it take to get that? And I also think like, it's, we often hear older generations say to younger generations, you know, ah, you have it so easy. You have it so good. I had to, you know, walk uphill to school both yeah. ways or whatever <laughs> it is. And, and we've heard, oh, we hear this over and over again from generations that resent when things are made easier mm -hmm. for younger generations. And I think that's because that's coming from a place of deep hurt yeah, and a place of, of needing deep care and love that they mm -hmm. didn't have. Yeah. Because if we're in a healthy place and we know that the world is going, something's going to be easier for someone who came out of uh, after us we are going to be like, that's a beautiful thing. That fills me with hope and joy right. when I'm in a good place. Right. If I'm not in a good place, then yeah, bitter and anger and frustration. And why can't you just do the things that I had to do? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, and we hear it from people that come out later in life, LGBTQ plus people who describe the way that's been internalized for them and mm -hmm. how they had to like, shed that to even come out to themselves and then other people and how people around them react yeah that's definitely like a theme I feel like yeah 
I, I feel that I see that in like every environment that I go in, you know, in terms of in the workplace and the school system, you know, like you just see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we're not in a good place. So what has Rebecca taught you about God? Just to mm. switch kind of gears here. <laughs> yeah. Now we're here. Now I'm going to go over here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I mean, Rebecca, Rebecca taught me about love in a way that is bigger than I previously understood. And that made me better understand God for sure. But I also think knowing Rebecca and knowing, knowing trans people and gender expansive people means I know parts of God that I wouldn't know otherwise. Because if we talk about, so from my, from my Christian tradition, um, we talk about being made in God's image. We're all made in a God's image. And we know that queer people exist and trans people exist. And so it's a very small leap to say that parts of God's image are queer and are trans mm-hmm. and all of these things. And so it is only when we're in communities with those people that we get to see those parts of God because we see mm-hmm. God in humanity. That's how we get to know God. And so that's something that I think is hard to put into words what I've gained from Rebecca and from the queer and trans people in my life. But but it's a God that maybe I knew intellectually and academically was a really big God, but God is bigger than I think I could have imagined. And I see God's, God's creativity and God's, the beauty of God's creation in a more vivid way. I think I see the hopes and care that God has for each of us when I see trans people thrive And really that authenticity, like that stepping fully into yourself and just like the day Rebecca went out into the world as herself for the first time, she just lit up Mm. like there was a light in her and a freedom and a lightness opposed to heaviness, like a freeness that I had never seen before. And I think that's what we all get. And it to experience and to know or what we can all be when we are closest to who God created us to be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I do think I've said this before in this podcast. So people are like, stop saying this, but I say like, you know, even for me, like just even going to seminary <laughs> and like, I was like, Oh mm-hmm. man, God's real big. <laughs> you know? yes. I yeah. was like, I've been making God real small. <laughs> Yeah, it's so true. And I mean, I did, I have an undergraduate degree in world religion, and then I have a master's degree in religion. And I'm just fascinated by, by spirituality in general, and how people make meaning, and connect with the divine, and that's through Christianity, but also through all of these other lenses and experiences and traditions. And the more I learn, the more the bigger things get. Even when I think I've got this really big vision, like I don't think I didn't come out of a very conservative framework where I think I had to break down a ton, but it still just keeps getting bigger and more beautiful, like bigger mm. and more beautiful all the time. Yeah. So what are some of the things you think that 
could be tangible ways for our world to change so that we are not fighting this fight anymore. So we need leaders that represent um, the diversity of our communities. Um, we need we need to see throughout our books and our schools and our you know our faculties and our legislatures and our leadership and our media and all the things the beautiful diversity of like, even if I'm just talking about the US, we need to see that diversity reflected because while we have celebrated increased representation in all of these areas in the recent years, it is still overwhelmingly white, cis, straight men that run the world. Yeah. And that's a problem. Mm -hmm. That's a problem because um, there are absolutely wonderful white straight cis men in the world they are i'm married Mm -hmm. to one like and and also it's the same way we have to dismantle white supremacy in ourselves Mm -hmm. um there is just the the culture that we've been living in the air we've been breathing the waters we've been swimming in whatever metaphor you want to use has taught us that there this is the way to be and it is a scarcity mindset and it is a structure that protects people in power and it's all all of it's based on white supremacy and so if we are going to um liberate queer people if we are going to liberate trans people we have to dismantle white supremacy like we have to these are all connected you know we have dr kimberly crenshaw and Mm her ideas on intersectionality are so critical and when huge yeah huge and when you go back to understand like what she was saying in that initial essay where she coined that term i i reread it uh when i was writing my book because i cite it and when i reread it again like in a new lens just to understand that like we have been operating in a world and we saw this even with the the marriage equality movement where we take the most privileged of a group that are most palatable and we focus on giving them more rights and more equity to bring them in because it's the easiest lift but it leaves all of these other people behind whereas if we take the most oppressed if we take black trans women Mm -hmm. and we elevate them everyone else is elevated too everyone else is freed and it's not just freed in in policy and law it's in that freedom to break out of those boxes and be fully ourselves yeah it's in you know collective liberation is the only way forward yeah the only way forward i feel that and so like that's the really big overwhelming answer <laughs> on a, I, like i feel like i mean duh collective liberation <laughs> on a more practical side um, listening to stories of, of trans people, lifting them up, correcting misinformation, call your legislators, please, 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 please Google how to call your legislators, Google, what are the anti-LGBTQ bills in my state and call and do something. We need, we need allies to really step up and use their voice and their dollars, donate to organizations on the ground all of those things. And it's all at your fingertips. Just Google, how can I help and anti-trans ledge and you'll get resources. That's great. I think too, what I'm trying to remember again, what you were saying. Sorry, collective liberation. No, all the things. Oh, the scarcity. This is where I was going. With. Mm. Um, 
for I it I learned also just during even the pandemic time that white supremacy and and scarcity are connected, which I didn't realize before. And I I feel like feel scarcity so much in my life. And I've been like thinking a lot about that because I'm like, dang, like <laughs> I do see that and I do see how that shows up in our worlds and how that affects us. When when you think about it, you know, even let's just say like people like cookbooks. Right? Like let's think about the level of like cookbooks. Like so many people, like there's a lot of cookbooks in the world. And sometimes people are like, well, maybe I shouldn't write a cookbook or maybe I shouldn't do this. And I know this is like so simplistic, but it's like, no, like people love cookbooks, you know, like, and it's like voices being shared and where's my voice go and how does this happen? And I think there's so much of that scarcity that then puts us into the competitive nature where we don't need to be competitive, but we can be collaborative. And when you're collaborative, then everyone is going to be winning right? Like you just said. Mm -hmm. So, but it took me kind of a long time to even process that of how much that was ingrained, I think in that white culture that we've grown Mm -hmm. up in, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think, I think continuing to notice how it comes up in us, like, cause Mm -hmm. it's not like we become, Oh, this is bad. That is good. And we just switch again, binary. It's not that simple, but understanding that those characteristics of white supremacy, those things are in us and noticing when they're activated. You know, I can be speaking at something where I can make a mistake and have something be corrected where I start to feel that like defensive, protect myself, all that and be like, oh, no, it's okay. I can be grateful for this person that's teaching me something because mm-hmm. I'm going to mess up all the time. Yeah. But so noticing and naming and seeing how it feels in our body and that like that body connection is so big mm-hmm. so that we can actually move through it and um, have different, re- like, you know, we're healing trauma. We're yes. healing trauma that yeah. is deep, deep, deep in our bodies. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to spend hours more talking. <laughs> Everything you said, I think has been a gift though today, because I feel like it's, I mean, there's so much for us to, to look at and to see a lot of this is like system-based. A lot of it is centuries of misunderstanding and shame and things that we continuously are trying to shed. Like, I love that you kept saying the word shed, that we need to shed some of this because I think that's what it is. And shedding does take time, right? Like it takes time. And I think we just have to feel that and know that. And I think there's also this need for us to um, be humble and to listen. And I think our society right now moves so fast and taking the time and we're busy, like the busyness that we are living takes away from us being able to be still to listen as well. So I think finding those moments of stillness to listen and learn from one another is uh, important. We need to wrap up for today, but I'm was curious. I ask my guests, what story are you reframing today? Mm, there are probably a million. I feel like my whole life is reframing stories like <laughs> over and over again. I love the visual that I think I first heard, and I don't know if it originated with her, but Glennon Doyle talks about how sometimes like as we're going through stuff or unpacking it, it's like a spiral staircase. So like, it can feel like you're going through the same, like, oh, I'm back at the same issue again, or I'm still wondering about this body thing when really like we're traveling around this 
spiral staircase. And so, yeah, we keep hitting the same thing, but we're in a different place with it. And mm -hmm. so I think, though, like I have like lifetime reframing stories around my body and what it means to be in it and whole and um, uh, to to experience vitality and to feel good in my own skin, but not to have I think I struggle. I mean, there's that diet culture that has been so ingrained mm. in me mm. and also knowing that my body doesn't at this moment in my life feel real good because of the stress and the ways I've treated her. And so trying to unpack a way to most know my body and care for her and move forward towards vitality that is not at all attached to diet culture or shame or punishing her. Yeah. And so like one of those things is, is referring to my body as her or they instead <laughs> of it. Yes. Because I, um, and so like things around that. And I feel like I have spent my entire life <laughs> trying to reframe those stories and, um, and it's just, you know, moving around that spiral staircase and hitting it again, but in a different spot, in mm -hmm. a different place, on and on and on. Oh my gosh, I was just there this week. <laughs> I feel that. I had this, yeah, I was I was facing the fact of how I've been feeling within my body and things like that and reached out to maybe look at a diet program again. And then I was like, no, you told yourself you weren't going to do this again. So you're not. And you're just going to mm -hmm. love her. And you're going to care for her as she's telling you to care for her. I saw I had that. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> lifelong. I am certain. Lifelong. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for being on the show. And tell people again, we didn't even talk about your book. That was what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> she has a book, everyone. And it's going to be amazing because one, you're an amazing writer. And so the book again is called Raising Kids Beyond the Binary, Celebrating God's Transgender and Gender Diverse Children. So I'm sorry that this show took so long and then I didn't get to that, but everyone needs to go find this book. They can pre-order it right now. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Yep. It's available for pre-order. It'll be out in September, but pre-orders mean everything to authors. So please go wherever you prefer to buy books and, and search it and pre-order it. I would be so grateful for that. And you can find me otherwise, um, my first name, last name everywhere, Jamie Brizahoff, which will be hard to spell, but you can see in the podcast <laughs> listing. Um, and I am that on uh, all social, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, even TikTok, although I don't do anything there yet. I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> and that's my website too. Um, RaisingKidsBeyondTheBinary.com will also get you to Great. a part of my website so you can find me without having to spell my last name <laughs> <laughs> well I'm excited I'm so excited for her book and I just want you guys to know that I told her years ago that she was going to have a book and so I'm just really excited that it's happening <laughs> she's just amazing and Jamie has helped so many people so I hope you will go support her because her words will definitely change you so thank you so much Jamie Thank you.